give us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community. That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, seeing that we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Now, who is we? It's important to identify the two groups that the apostle is discussing because there are two groups in here today, and here are the two groups. We are the preachers. In verse 1, the apostle is speaking of those apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who have been given a public ministry of proclaiming the gospel and making sure that grace is available to everybody that hears. So there are two groups being discussed. The we are the preachers, and then there's the hearers. That's you. You're listening. Therefore, seeing that we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Now, why would he say we faint not? Well, because they're struggling. The preachers, the ones that command devils to come out, the ones that lay their hands upon the sick and they recover. This group of early church first century preachers that demonstrated the power of God beyond imagination, the kind of power that we only pray and hope we'll see again in our generation, they were struggling. The struggle didn't come from God. It came from the devil and it came from other people. Verse 2, But have cast from us the cloaks of shame, and walk not in craftiness, neither handle we the word of God deceitfully, but in declaration of the truth we approve ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, obviously, if there were not also some preachers and teachers of God's word who were handling the teaching of the Bible and God's law deceitfully and misleading people into believing things that were not so. Now, I, this is the verse I want to read to you out loud, what Adam Clark says about that verse. Paul saying, we're not handling the preaching in a way that misleads people and being deceitful. Here's what Adam Clark says in the year 1798. We have disclaimed the hidden things of dishonesty, the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or in subtlety and clever cunning as the false teachers did, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, not using the doctrines of the gospel to serve any secular or carnal purpose, not explaining away their force so as to palliate or excuse sin not generalizing the Bible's precepts so as to excuse many in particular circumstances from obedience, especially in that which most crossed their inclinations. There were deceitful handlers of this kind in Corinth, and there are ministers, persons who disguise that part of their creed which, though they believe it is of God, would make them unpopular." affecting moderation then in order to procure a larger audience and more extensive financial support. Not attacking prevalent and popular vices, calling dissipation of mind relaxation, and worldly and carnal pleasures innocent amusements. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience means speaking so that every man's conscience shall bear 
It's testimony that we proclaim the truth of God. This is one characteristic of divine truth. Even every man's conscience will acknowledge it, though it speak decidedly against his own behavior. And so even then in 1798, and even in Corinth at the time this verse was written, there were preachers who didn't want to tell the whole truth of the truths of God because they wanted a bigger audience and more money. The apostle distinguishes himself and says, that is not the kind of preacher you're getting from me. And I think that we can say before God and the Holy Spirit as the pastoral staff of Cornerstone, that is not the leadership you get here. Verse 3, if the gospel be then hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Now, this word lost is interesting because the suggestion is those that are lost that hear the gospel and just can't seem to comprehend what they're saying, it is implying that they have decidedly chosen to be and remain lost. And it's almost sarcastic. So if the gospel is unknown, he's saying, it's because the people that live, I am saying it as loud as I can, as often as I can, I'm preaching this everywhere I go, and if the gospel at this point is unknown, it's because the people out there didn't want to know it. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds, that is, of the infidels, that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should not shine unto them. As soon as a human being digs their heels in, in pride, God resists them, and Satan exploits them. Verse 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God that commanded the light to shine out of the darkness is he which hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of that power of God might be of God and not of us. And now we get into these words that I think we just fly past I've heard so many people quote this passage, and I found it fascinating as I looked into it. It's really interesting. He is going to begin to describe how grace is really being used in the life of believers and in your life this morning to combat the evil that comes against you. While the hyper-Calvinist would tell you that the grace of God brought the evil to you, the truth is the grace of God is energizing and strengthening you for the battle that comes from Satan and fallen men. Now notice again, who is the we? These are the preachers. These are the early church fathers. These are men that knew the Holy Spirit, that were walking in extraordinary spiritual power. Their prayers literally caused physical earthquakes. People were let out of jail because of their prayer meetings. This is an amazing group of people. And they had, they had knowledge of the power of the Spirit beyond what many in our century have ever known. And yet, look at what they went through. The apostle continues, we are afflicted on every side. Who? The preachers. Yet we are not in distress. We are in doubt, but we despair not. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but we perish not. Everywhere we bear about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might also be made manifest in 
our bodies. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, so then death worketh in us and life in you. You remember last week I introduced you to the mission statement of Jesus Christ. He said, I am come that you might have life, Zoe, and that you might have it more abundantly. And here the apostles give us a glimpse into the function of the life-giving grace of God. The Bible says that the life is in the blood. Can you say amen? And then metaphorically speaking, grace is like the blood of Christ flowing in the body of Christ. And so grace very much gives us life. We are saved, the Bible says, two different ways of describing salvation. You are saved out of death and into life by grace. And the Bible also says you are saved out of death and into life by the blood of the Lamb. And so the life of God, he says, is working in us amidst all this trouble. Now here's what's fascinating. When you look into the exact language that's used here, the apostle gives four descriptors of what he's going through to demonstrate how the grace of God is being used in each situation to overcome. So there are four clauses. Three of them are explicitly wrestling terms. Anybody in here wrestle? Anybody ever wrestle in high school? There's a few that we always made fun of the guys that wrestle, that they put on tights and roll around hugging each other. Wrestling was a very popular sport in Paul's day. Three of the four clauses are direct references uh, out of the Greek for wrestling terms. And the fourth is a race, a physical running race term that's used. So these are sporting terms. And to really understand it, you need someone to break this out for you so you don't miss what's actually being said. I think you'd be surprised especially on the, uh, on the one about not being forsaken. You're not going to really understand it unless you put it in the context of a race. Paul is alluding to specifically the public games that were celebrated every five years at the Isthmus of Corinth. And these games were called the Agonis. The Agonis. This word Agonis, I'll write it down for you, is where we get our English word agony. Agonis. The word agonis actually means struggle, battle. And so these games were called the agonies. If we said it in English today, we would say, it's time for the agonies. Over the years, you know, our English version of that word that comes from the Greek is, you know, agony means, you know, having to go shopping with your wife is agony. The exercises and the gyrations and the grabbing and the throwing and the fighting that they did were called agonies. And so Paul uses these four expressions. It's the ancient term of contest. And notice that he says, we are afflicted. We're afflicted on every side. Different versions of the Bible use a different word, but I'm going to show you the original Greek. He says, we're afflicted on every side but we're not in distress. This word is Greek. I'm not going to try to say it. I'm just going to spell it for you. How's that? Phlebestai. That's how you spell it. That's the word that's behind our English word afflicted or troubled. If you read in the King James, I think it says, we're troubled on every side, but we're not in distress. This word is, uh, according to Adam Clark, it is explicitly a wrestling term. 
And from what I can understand after studying the word, is it, it is implying the beginning moments of a match of wrestling. You're facing down opposition. Maybe the contact hasn't happened quite yet, but it's about to, and you know it. You're about to go boom. And we are getting ready to attack, but we're not, we're not under distress. We, we see the enemy. We're checking them out. We're not freaked out. We're just ready. This is the, what this word means. Keep in mind, again, this is the preachers talking. The preachers are going through this for the sake of the hearers. That's you. Then secondly, Paul says, we're perplexed, but we don't despair. One is afflicted, two is perplexed. There's four different things that are going on in the lives of preachers for the sake of the lives of the hearers. This one suggests contact has been made and the fight is on, and perplexed, King James, I think, refers to it as doubt. You know, some people have a hard time when they read the Scripture and say, how? but faith is not doubt. How could they be men of God and be in doubt? Well, it's just you don't understand that it's a wrestling term. They're not saying, I'm, I'm, I'm having struggles with unbelief. It's not what, the Paul, it's not what Paul is saying. It's, I'm in doubt literally means you have now begun the match and you've grabbed each other and thrown each other around a couple of times. You've hit the ground, you got back up, you're getting, you're getting beat up here and you're, you're kind of taking a moment in the match. You're coming back and you're looking at them and you're perplexed, which means you're kind of thinking, this guy's got skills. He's pretty good at this. I'm not completely sure I know what to do next. So you're evaluating your opponent when you're fighting in the struggle and you're kind of you're taken back that they actually kind of know what they're doing. Nobody's won yet, and they're a pretty even match. So you're perplexed. You're taking notice of their skill. They threw you around a little bit. They're strong. This enemy you're dealing with, the contest, this guy's got some strength. We're evaluating the match. We've been thrown around a little bit, but we're not so puzzled that we're in absolute despair saying, oh, just, I give up. So just because you're going through a struggle and you're in a wrestling match and you're dealing with the enemy and he's coming after you, you get thrown around and you start to feel like, you know what, I think my opponent might be stronger than me. So if they're stronger, I got to be faster. So that's the way that you think. You know, well, he's stronger, it's over. No, 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 no. E equals MC squared. If he's stronger, I got to be quicker. I, I, I'm doomed, I'm doomed. Now, you're in despair and you're not going to win thinking like that. So the apostle is saying, First, we're troubled. We're getting ready. Then we start throwing each other around. And man, yeah, this, he's got skills. I'm not quite sure what to do about this. But I'm not throwing in the towel. Somebody say amen. This is what grace is doing in the struggle. And then thirdly, he skips now out of the, he goes back to wrestling on his fourth term, I think on purpose, uh, but we'll get to it in a minute. His third descriptor, he says, we are persecuted. This is the one where you read it in the English, you're not going to get it. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. This word, persecuted, here's the word from the Greek, diakomenoi. I have this little app in my software that pronounces properly Greek words so that when I say them, I say them right, and it crashed. So that might not be how you say that, but it looks like diakomenoi. It means pursued. It would have been better 
In our modern vernacular, the word pursued is much more accurate, and it's the concept of being in a foot race, and you're running as fast as you can, and the guys that want to beat you are right on your heels because they want to beat you, and you're being pursued. You're running as fast as you, you want to win, and if they beat you, if they get in front of you, you lose. We are running as fast as we can, and they're running behind us trying to defeat us, but we are not forsaken. That actually means we're not being left in their dust. The word forsaken literally means we are not left behind because they pass us so fast and defeat us. So I'm running as hard as I can. They're right on my heels, but I'm still in front. That's what the apostle is saying about the preachers for the sake of the hearers. Ministers of the gospel, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who are the pipeline of grace to the hearers are describing themselves as, first of all, they see their enemy. They're checking out their enemy. Second of all, they start to get into the scuffle and, and fight, and they're going back and forth, and they're not quite sure how they're going to win, but they're not giving up. They're not chickening out. They're not retreating. They're not going to stop and quit and go whine. Why? Because grace is there. The grace they're piping through to the body of Christ is also there for the struggle. And so then thirdly, they're running as fast as they can. They're giving it all that they've got, and the enemy is right behind them. They can feel their breath coming down their backside. But they're not going to run slower. They're not going to let them pass. And then fourthly, he goes back now. I think the reason he leaves this at the end is because the struggle, we're down here dealing with the pine needles. We're dying. All of us are dying we're in the struggle. At some point, it looks like the struggle wins because you're going to have a funeral. You're going to die. And so he goes back to the wrestling term. And in Roman wrestling, if you were in such agony and you had wrestled so long and become so weak that the opponent wrestling and fighting you, having so much more strength than you, was able to successfully lift you off the ground with his great strength into the air and slam you to the ground, it's over. You're done. Virtually no one got back up after that because you were so weak to get to the point where your opponent could do that to you that the impact of your body weight hitting a hard ground, by the way, they didn't have mats like we have. The impact of the body hitting the ground in some of the Circumus Maximus events, these kinds of wrestling actually killed the other wrestler. They hit that hard. And the apostle is painting a picture here for you because this is the truth. One of these days, somebody is going to be looking on at Kerry Gordon's funeral, and it's going to look like the devil picked me up and slammed me on the ground six feet under. It's going to happen to you. Well, but they, they were a Christian. How how could that happen? They were a Christian. They served God. And they believed in healing. And How could this happen to Julie? Looks like the devil just picked up our precious Julie and just, just slammed her into the ground. And we had a funeral. Someday it's going to happen to you. Sometimes it's sooner. Sometimes it's later. But it happens. At some point, it happens. And it looks like the enemy won. And so we see Jesus in the struggle on the cross, and it looks like the enemy's winning. And every time we have a funeral 
almost every time, it just feels rotten, like Satan is winning. That something happens that's unusual for wrestling in Rome when you mess with one of the people of God with the grace of God on the inside of them. Because Jesus was the first fruit resurrection. And the apostle says, finally, his fourth descriptor, we, the preachers, for the sake of the hearers, we are cast down, but not destroyed. And the disclaimer is cast down in ancient wrestling. That, I mean, you're toast. You might die. If you got to the point where they slam you on a hard ground, it's over. So the apostle says, on occasion, if you are looking at me, the preacher, you will see me flailing in the air as my opponent, Satan, slams me to the ground, writhing in pain. But I get back up. Satan picked up Jesus, if you will, excuse the metaphor, and slammed him to the ground. And Jesus got back up. And he's the first fruits of what you're going to do. And there's a day coming, and we're all going to be here together for several more funerals until we get to yours. And we're all going to have to go through the struggle. We're still struggling. But grace is here, and we get through it. And in that context, with that kind of thinking, the Apostle Paul cries out to God one day about, some people say it was a disease. I disagree by studying it. I think it was that he was physically beat up everywhere he went to preach. And the Apostle Paul complained about what? His thorn. And what does God say in response to the complaint about his thorn? He says, my grace is sufficient. And I read that, and it means simply this. The grace of God is sufficient to pull the thorn out of your hind end and keep going. So the devil might look like he's body slamming you. You're struggling. You're fighting. But listen to me. Don't start pouting. Don't surrender. Don't back up. Don't get in despair. Your example is set with the preachers. And then Paul goes on and says, Why the ministers of the gospel, the pipeline of grace to the saints should be, not all are, but should be willing to go through such things. Everywhere, always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. This means we're preserved alive through verbal and physical attacks. Jesus was being persecuted verbally for most of his ministry until he finally got to the cross and was persecuted physically. So the wrestling match of life, the struggle of life, ends with you being slammed on the ground. And you struggle, and you already know the end of the match before you get there. You know that you're going to keep fighting with everything. You're not going to give up. You're going to keep going. You're, you're checking them out. They're stronger than you. You try to be faster, and you outmaneuver them until the very end, and they pick you up, and they slam you on the ground, and that's your funeral. But you get back up because you're going to be resurrected. And the apostle says, we bear about the bruises and scars of our ongoing fight, if I may paraphrase that bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might be also made manifest in our bodies. The strength to get back up, the strength to not give up in the fight, the strength to keep going, even when you know your day is coming and you're going to get body slammed and there will be a casket involved. Just because you know the end that that's going to happen doesn't mean you shouldn't take your eyes off what happens next. Because your time for the casket is coming, but your time for a resurrection out of it is coming after that. We which live, verse 11, always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also, the zoe of God, 
might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. That's important because it's saying that zoe is something, the life of God, the grace of God, the blood of Christ affects you in your physical flesh when you're in the struggle. He's not just concerned about you eternally as a vapor. He is talking about this body that you live in, this struggle that you're fighting. That's what grace is for, to get you through it. The grace of God is sufficient. So then death worketh in us, and life in you. Who's you? The hearers. The preachers are dealing and wrestling with the spirit of death to deliver unto you the life of Jesus Christ. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so when you come to a nurturing perspective and a mature perspective in the body of Christ, you begin to enter into self-sacrifice just as the preachers do, and you begin to suffer and tackle the devil and fight the evil for the sake of someone else because grace flows sideways and it's always been about others. And because we have the same spirit of faith, According as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which hath raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise you up also by Jesus and shall set us with you. For all things are for your sakes that that plenteous grace by the thanksgiving of many might redound to the praise of God. All of this, he says, is for you so that you can have an abundance of God's grace flowing in your life. When you get into the struggle and you find out your opponent is stronger and faster, God juices the grace inside of you to make you stronger and faster. So that's the relationship of grace to struggles. How big is your opponent? How tall is your giant? How difficult is your battle? How much hurt are you going through? How heavy is your heart? The grace of God will outmaneuver it if you'll cooperate with it and stay humble. Doesn't matter how much you loved them and they died tragically, the grace of God will get you through the agony of the loss. How scary is the prognosis of that doctor who just looked at your body and said you had some tumor or some cancer or some terrible thing? How, how frightened is the parent whose child is in rebellion and doesn't seem like they'll ever repent? The grace of God is all that you need to face down your enemy. And even when they body slam you at the end, you're just getting back up. And so ultimately you win. For all things are for your sakes, that the most copious grace by the thanksgiving of many might redound unto the praise of God. Therefore, we preachers faint not. But though our outward man die, yet the inward man is renewed every day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, causeth us a far more excellent and eternal weight of glory. While we look not on the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen, because the things that are not seen are eternal. What's in the middle of your garden? Are you taking dominion with the church? Are you being generous with the church congregation? That's how grace works. Grace is here to help us take dominion together. 
This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. God himself blew on his tree so that there would be a light. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside of the church. Thank you for tuning in.